It is so good uh, to be here in this nice, big, air-conditioned room as on this hot Sturgis Falls weekend. Um, as Pat said, my name is Tyler, and I'm not sure how much of some of you have been around kids. We just had VBS a few weeks ago, so some of you might have given this kids thing a try, and whew, it's an interesting world. Um, I have three kids at home of my own. I have a full-time job where I work with uh, seven-year-olds and a part-time job where I work with 12-year-olds. So I spend most of my days around kids. This is just how God made me. He made me to be around kids, and I know he didn't make everyone um, able to be around them for almost 14 hours a day. Just like I know he didn't make me with the natural skills to be a carpenter or a cook or a Black Friday shopper. I just, I ain't about that life. And that's okay. I love getting to work with kids. They are so fun to talk to. They always want to know the why, all right? And for the most part, I enjoy answering those why questions, all right? There are some times where it's like, oh, we've got to take a break. A 2017 study found that curious kids ask around 73 questions a day. Some of you might think that number's a little low. Some of you might think, oh my goodness, 73 questions. And about half of those questions are ones that adults can't or don't want to answer. As I was preparing this teaching about a month ago, I started keeping a list of questions that my kids asked around my house um, that involved the why. Here's the list here. Why do we have to eat dessert last? Also a question that I wonder. Why do we have tacos for dinner at least once a week? Super easy. Why do we have to wear pants to school? This was a big one as spring didn't really start and winter was, we had to ask the Alexa the temperature and figure out the whole pants situation. Why do we have to share with our two-year-old brother? As long as I have to share with them, they have to share with them. Phenomenal questions with lots of depth coming out of the Ruane house. The why is so important to kids. And as I started putting this teaching together, I started to think about those why questions where it made the most impact on my kids, where I thought, you know, that's one that they're going to remember for a while. And the question of why we don't jump on the couch came to mind. Here is why we don't jump on the couch. This is Dawson. That's not supposed to be there on his nose. He jumped on the couch. We had uh, the T-Swift music bumping, you know, and he was jumping around. And that was right before school picture day right there. So preschool school pictures turned out really well. And I thought this would really, really register with him. And it did for like two weeks. And then he was back to jumping on the couch again. And that's our middle kid. Our oldest son, Landon, though, he had an experience that has really stuck with him three years later. All right? The question is why we don't play volleyball in the basement anymore. And here is why. We have this Lego table. Um, with a nice sharp corner, and it hit, he dove for a volleyball, and it hit right in between that nose and lip right there, and he was just horrified. This was our first ER visit for kids, and he didn't have to get stitches. That was the big thing, but the glue still stings quite a bit. We have new kids come over, and the first thing he tells them is, there's no volleyball in the basement. <laughs> that rule still stays, and he's, kind of, he's the oldest, so he's a rule follower. Three years later, still no volleyball in the basement. We've got to take it outside. Um, the last story of remembering the why also involves sports. The question of why we don't jump on the bandwagon when it comes to sports teams. Here's uh, 
Tom Brady did that to my kids right there. Just complete devastation. Landon's a Panthers fan. Dawson's a Packers fan. None of them made the playoffs, but their grandma is a Chiefs fan, and they had a really good season until Tom Brady decided to do his thing again. And so they've got the, the Chiefs gear. They were all decked out, and Tom Brady broke their hearts. It happens all the time. They were on the Vikings bandwagon the year before. I'm hoping that this latest incident involving Kansas City will teach them that why of why we don't jump on the bandwagon when it comes to sports teams. The why matters in our lives. And this morning, I want to talk with you about checking my why as I do my best to utilize the gifts God has blessed me with. We're in the second week of our summer teaching series that is called, I Could Do That. And our hope as a summer teaching team is that sharing from our own lives will help people say as they listen, I could do that. As I began thinking about what practice I might teach about for the summer teaching, someone asked me, how do I integrate my faith into the different aspects of my life? What a deep and difficult question to answer. And if you know me, you know that this question was probably too deep for me to answer without days of reflection. A little bit about me. I still laugh at the word duty when someone at work talks about going outside for recess duty. It just makes me giggle every time funny word. So this question of how I integrate my faith into the different aspects of my life was definitely over my head at first. Later that night, though, I started thinking about the different aspects or areas of my life and started to think about the why in those areas. The first area I started with was an easy one. When we were answering a deep, self-reflecting question, we always look for the easy answer right away, right? I took a look at the work my wife and I do with the sixth graders here at Orchard. So we meet with them on Sunday mornings during the school year um, at the 9:15 service down in the prayer room. And then we also meet with them on a weeknight, like every other week um, during the school year. And we do something to build community within the group of kids. It could be a movie night or dodgeball or volleyball or just a game night. It's always something that gives the, reasons the, kids, that gives the kids a reasons, reason to get together and build relationships with each other. We also usually have junk food and pop there, too. And that might be why they come. The why behind this one is easy. We work and hang out with these sixth graders because my wife and I know how important it is in the faith life of kids to have Christian adults in their lives who are not their parents. Both my wife and I had these adults in our lives when we were in high school and college, and I can't imagine where we would be in our faith without those adults who have invested their own time and energy into both of us. They were the adults that we were never too afraid to be too honest with <coughs> because they weren't our parents. They were a safe place where we could process some things that maybe we weren't ready to talk with our parents about. And Megan and I are being obedient to God and being those caring adults for these sixth graders. And I thought that night, done, I nailed the why. Unless, of course, I look a little deeper, which might not be the most fun, but I feel like I should do. And I think about some of those Sunday mornings when my own three kids have been put in timeout a combined 13 times and they've only been awake for 30 minutes. It's usually a record. And I think, man, wouldn't it be nice if we didn't have to go to church today? If we could just stay home and not have to drag these three possessed monsters out into public. <laughs> but we made a commitment to those sixth graders. And so we threaten our three boys with whatever we can come up with at 8.30 in the morning. And we coax them into the car and off to church for go. We're there 
at church serving, but how is my heart? Do I have the right why? How do I give my heart right on those days? And how can I overcome the sin of selfishness on those Sundays? It's crazy how sin can creep into our lives. Sin doesn't waste any time. Early on a Sunday morning, and I'm already looking for an easy way out for me. Romans chapter 6, verses 15 through 23, was a place where I found some very interesting answers to these questions. Romans 6, verses 15 through 23, read like this. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the, sta- <clears throat> to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that, t- at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And before we get too far into that scripture, I can never get over Paul in verse 19 when he makes sure the Romans know that he is now making things even simpler for them and speaking in human terms because of their natural limitations. Paul understands that we are all born sinners, and we are constantly looking out for ourselves from day one. I have a two-year-old boy at home named Ashton. He's the youngest of our three boys, and he runs around the house screaming, my turn, my turn, mine, mine, mine. And it just paints that picture. We are all slaves to sin from the very beginning of our lives here on earth. It's a tough pill to swallow, But it's the truth. I have character witnesses. Elliot and Megan Tenson are our neighbors. They've heard him scream when it's his turn to bat. I think the whole neighborhood knows when it's his turn to bat. It's his turn. So we are broken. And if our why is our broken selves, the end is death. It was right there in the verse. Or, as the rest of verse 23 says, we can choose Jesus as our why and accept the free gift of eternal life. We have the option of this gift because Jesus chose us over himself and died on the cross for each and every one of us. Take a moment now and think about some of your most recent Sunday mornings. What has been your why for coming to worship? Think about some of your most recent times you've served in any capacity, church or community. What has been your why for serving? Has your why been centered around what other people think about you? Or has your why been rooted in the cross and the power of what Jesus did for you 
on that cross. Well, that first year area of my life that I thought was an easy one didn't quite go as I expected. But then I thought maybe my work with seven-year-olds as a second-grade teacher will be a little less humbling for me. After all, how many people out there are looking to spend seven hours a day with 23 seven-year-olds? You could say I'm doing God's work, right? I chose to go to the University of Northern Iowa to learn how to be an elementary teacher because I loved working with kids. I had helped out at our high school's um, baseball camp, volunteered at a fifth and sixth grade lock-in, and it led me to discover this passion that God was looking to put in my life. And the more I thought about being a teacher, the more I discovered that God had been working on this part of my life for quite some time, and I didn't even realize that. Growing up, I was always thinking of different or more effective ways to do things in school. I was always thinking about how I would teach that in my classroom if I had one. Now, this attitude does not always go over well with teachers, you know, students thinking that they know better ways to do things. Luckily, I had some pretty amazing teachers who possibly recognized that I was at the early stages of my journey to become a teacher someday. Now, fast forward, I'm a full-time teacher now, and I'm looking to go to work every day and show love for the kids at Hanson Elementary. I know that some of those kids are coming to school maybe hungry one day, or they're tired one day, or they're just having a rough morning. But they still need to be loved. They deserve to be loved at school. And I'm looking to help them believe in themselves and learn to take risks so they can realize what high levels of greatness they are capable of achieving. That's my why when I first reflect upon this area of my life. I'm going to show love for those kids no matter what struggles they're bringing to school all that day. That's what God does with me every day. He shows me love no matter how many times I fall into sin each day. However, as I reflect further with this elementary teacher side of my life, I start to think about humbleness. I start to think about this little section from chapter 6 in the book of Matthew. It's a piece of scripture that always had a special way of humbling me whenever I'm ready to sound my trumpet, as it talks about in this scripture. Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, read like this. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. I think that the workplace, no matter the genre or specialty, is a tough place not to sound our trumpets. I just talked about how quickly we can become slaves to sin and how early of an age we start looking out for ourselves, number one. Then fast forward to being an adult at the workplace where I have great leaders who are trying to build up others in the workplace by giving them a little praise and then I start to crave a little of that praise that sin starts to creep into my heart. I know that I am working hard and definitely doing some things in my classroom that could be worthy of some praise, but should that truly be my why for helping these amazing kids? Just so I can get a little recognition to feed my ego? Not a chance, not even close. That's not even what most workplaces, especially the schools we have here in our community, are looking for. 
the best and most effective workplaces are places where people are putting others' needs above their own. The employees are looking to help anyone who might be in need and not letting their left hand know what their right hand is doing. That's what the people at my workplace are doing, and yet I still have to be aware of that slight craving to make sure everyone knows about all the amazing things that I am doing. I have to constantly be on guard to keep remembering my why. Jesus put my needs ahead of his needs. He didn't just give up some time after school or some late nights trying to figure out the next steps to help a student. He gave his life for mine and everyone else's. He has got to be my why as I put those kids' needs first each and every day. Take another moment. Think about your workplace, whatever it looks like for you right now. What's your why? Is it to try to get recognized or is it something deeper, something truer, something Jesus has maybe called you to do? I had one last major area of my life that I reflected upon that night, and it was the scariest, so I saved it for last. I think we are able to refocus when we go to work or we go to church because we know we just need to get our heart right for that certain amount of time. One hour on Sunday, I can get my heart right. It's Friday, I can get my heart right for seven hours, and then it's the weekend. However, our life at home is where our true colors shine. I really learned this once our own kids started going to school. My oldest son went to the preschool at my school where I work, and so we would often get to hear stories about him, which was fun. And some stories were about how he helped a classmate or worked hard to figure out a difficult concept. So my wife and I would get home from work, and we would discuss these stories, feel so proud, and then we'd look across the room as we're talking about these stories and see that same kid chasing his little brother around the house and screaming at him because the little brother would not answer the question of if he likes chocolate milk or not. Our truest form is most likely us at home. I know mine is. And I talked earlier about how our truest form isn't really anything pretty as we've been broken right from the start. At home, I have three roles that I tend to fill. I am a husband, I am a father, and I am the chosen one who eats any food that doesn't get eaten by the end of dinner, one of my favorite roles. Our kids absolutely loathe having to eat meals, whereas I live for that moment when they finish their meal and they say they're full, which gives me the green light to devour anything that might still be on the table. And we've got three boys, so I feel like my days might be numbered in this role, as hopefully someday my kids will develop an appetite. I think Dawson, our middle one, might be coming along here soon, but I cherish each time I get called upon to clear the table. And as a husband and father, I'm doing my best to put others' needs ahead of mine. That's my why. That's what God did for us as our father. However, I do like to make plans. I also love to make rules for our kids. I have moments where I think I know what's best for my kids, and no one else could possibly know a better route for them. My will be done. It's a slippery slope that starts small and eventually takes over my night or week or month. There is a short book in the Bible called James that can help in situations like this. It's such a cool and interesting book to go through. I highly recommend it. It's a very short book, but if you're looking for a thought-provoking book of the Bible to go through next, there's a part at the end of chapter 4 in this book that talks about my will. 
and verses 13 through 17 read like this. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such, and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Who am I to think my will be done? I get so caught up sometime in my own plans, and I'm so worried about raising those three boys with Megan. We want them to grow up to be people who love Jesus and have him as their why when they go out into the world and they're using their gifts that he gave him. Sometimes I feel so much pressure that I don't want to trust this task to anyone but Megan or me. That's such a terrible why for me as a father. Any plans I have for my three boys doesn't even compare to the greatness God has planned for them. It's his will that will always be done, not mine. He is the one who truly knows sacrifice. I think sacrifice is having to wait for my boys to say they're full before I can devour that last cheeseburger. He is the father who gave his one and only son for me. What roles do you fill when you're at home? Are you able to take the time to slow down and refocus your why if sin starts to creep its way in? What plans do you have? And are you willing to follow the plans that Jesus has for you to let his will be done? I know I've spent these last 20 minutes talking about making sure we are checking our why in different areas of our lives and making sure we are choosing Jesus and not letting sin creep farther and farther into our lives. And I think taking some time every now and then to stop and think about your motives in various areas of your life is a great practice that can help you grow. However, this isn't the only thing you can try this summer. I am so excited to be a part of this summer teaching series because this series gives us all a chance to say yes to something that might be a little scary. Digging deep into the different motives in my life and sharing them with a large group of people was a little scary. But Jesus didn't give his life for us to stay where we are or go backwards. We have to go forwards. We have to take some chances and say yes to taking a risk. We have to reflect, learn, and grow as we build a relationship with him. That relationship that he so wants us to have, he so wants to have with us. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I encourage you to take a chance on him. In high school, I wasn't a Christian. I didn't really want anything to do with this Jesus guy. However, I took a chance and went to our high school ministry event called Big House that happens on Wednesday nights right here in this room during the school year. And get this, my why behind going to Big House the first time and maybe the six or seven times after that was to see a girl that I had a major crush on. How about those motives? I wasn't taking a chance to grow in my faith or to be real with my struggles with others. I was hoping to get a seat next to this girl named Megan so maybe I could hold her hand during one of the worship songs. And God was ever so present on that Wednesday night right here in this room 15 years ago when I took a chance as a non-Christian and he will be there for you 
if you take a chance on him, he will be there in that moment and long after that moment. And you will be amazed at the plans he has for you. I'm going to pray for us here as I invite the band up. If you'll join me in prayer. (coughs) Dear Jesus, that sin, it creeps its way into our hearts every single day, so many times a day. And we thank you so much for what you did on the cross and how you offer to take that sin on you. And you give us this option of choosing the gift of eternal life if we have you as our why, if we're living our lives for you. We thank you so much for giving us that choice. And I pray that no matter how busy life gets, you can help us slow down and maybe refocus if we need it and think about that why in the different areas of our life and make sure that our why is for you because that's the one that has that eternal gift.